So we are just coming off of VBS week, and so I want to take some time and pray, opening up our service today, and pray for the children that were influenced uh, during that time. So let's, let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to learn your word, to praise and worship you, to gather together, Lord, with you being the, the common theme of what we're doing here. And Lord, we, we pray for the children that we were able to influence this week. God, for all of them that, that were in our story time and in our, our craft time and, and singing praises to you, Lord, we ask that you would liven the spark that was hopefully placed in them this week, Lord. Uh, we pray that we will meet them again in the community and we'll get another chance to fan that flame, Lord. Uh, thank you for that opportunity. It's in uh, Jesus' name that we pray today. Amen. So today we are discussing Acts chapter 14. This is the completion, the end part of Paul and Barnabas' uh, first missionary journey. If you'd like to follow along with me, you can turn to Acts chapter 14. And if you are using the Bible on the chair in front of you, it will be page 843. Acts chapter 14. This is, uh, again, the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas go on. So I want to tell you where we're at real quick before we get started. I have a map here. Uh, the places that we will be in the scripture today are Iconium. Um, and Lystra and Derby. So this is a, a general map of the area. You can see Israel um, down in the lower right-hand section and then the arrows where uh, Paul and Barnabas would have traveled on the top half. And then the next map that I have zooms in a little bit and it shows, as you can see in the top part, Iconium, uh, Lystra, and Derby. So we are inland currently. This is where we are at geographically, where Paul and Barnabas are delivering the good news. So let's get started. Um, this first missionary trip is, a, is quite a wild ride. Like there is uh, all over the spectrum that they have good times and bad times. We will see Paul and Barnabas have, have uh, uh, rough things happen. And then they'll be doing well, according to uh, most folks. And then they'll have rough things happen again. It's a wild ride, uh, this first missionary trip. Um, but hang on, because the next missionary trips, they get even more crazy. I'm excited to uh, look forward to those. Remember also, we are applying what we are learning through Paul and Barnabas to reach out to our community. We're applying their tactics for our service to our community, reaching out and spreading the good news, our community connections. Okay, Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace 
of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lyconia, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area. And there they preached the good news. Our first point from this text is quite simple. Brant tells us to keep it simple. So, we shall. Uh, don't give up. It's simply that. I mean, you know, you've heard this before, and I've probably preached this in this very series before as one of my points. Don't give up. It's pretty typical. But, seriously, this is a big deal. Paul and Barnabas, they had a chance to give up. Was that me? They had a chance to give up uh, time and time again, but they didn't. Have you ever been in a situation to where you say, boy, I will never do that again? You know what I'm talking about? So, uh, when Flint was small, he was a toddler, um, we had goats and we milked uh, goats and, and uh, the, the milk would go straight from the goat to milk's, uh, Flint's little sippy cup. <clears throat> So uh, it, didn't, it was unpasteurized. It didn't get to the refrigerator. And that's how we raised Flint. I think he's a, a fine young man because of it. Uh, and so uh, at one point in time, one of his sippy cups uh, went MIA, uh, missing in action. And well, so somebody ran across it. Flint ran across it. It was kicked under the couch or something and he was carrying it around. And so Flint had his sippy cup and everyone thought everything was okay except for Flint was kind of whiny. Flint didn't usually whine. And he wouldn't drink his milk. Uh, we were frustrated with him. And so uh, my wife says, we'll taste it. Maybe it's bad. And so, uh, fine, I'll taste it. <laughs> I will never <laughs> taste milk out of a sippy cup again. <clears throat> uh, I only got half of it swallowed. The rest of it was all over the living room at that point. Uh, maybe maybe the situation is uh, you're going to a meeting and uh, you thought you had enough gas. Uh, you're running behind so you don't have time to pull over. And then, oh, you run out of gas. You tell yourself, I will never uh, leave my tank lower than a quarter of a tank, right? I will never uh, drive through thinking I can make it else. Pull over and stop now. If you're like me, that doesn't really stay true. Um, you know, when I was uh, younger, about 15 years ago, uh, I, w I was skiing one time. I think I was kneeboarding, actually. And um, I, I learned a lesson there. I think I'd heard it before, but I was trying to get a backflip on the kneeboard. And so I was going fast. I had my dad go fast as he could, and, and I was going back over that wave, and to get a little bit of the extra uh, force that I needed to do a flip, I pulled the ski rope in like this to myself. And I didn't stick to landing because I landed head first in the water. 
And as I did, my arm went through the ski rope. Oh. When I woke up, uh, you know, like facing the sky, I didn't think I had an arm. I, I couldn't feel my arm for like 30 minutes after that. I feel like it was jerked off. I will never pull the ski rope in like this again. Think about that. Uh, maybe, maybe you've decided something like maybe. Boy, I'll never go into that part of the town at night again. Or maybe I will uh, never you know, go into a karate class with dudes who are bigger than I am. Uh, fill in the blank. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, they went and they spread the good news to these fellas. And <clears throat> what happens? The mob of Gentiles and Jews decided to attack and stone them, and they didn't get a chance to do it, but they ran them out of town. Why would Paul and Barnabas ever want to do that again? If you was going to be stoned and uh, attacked and you were ran out of the, the town, would you want to do it again? You know what? Why would they do it again? I, th- I think of this. It, I believe it is probably similar to the reason why a firefighter will go into a burning house to rescue someone time and time again. You know, and I've, I've heard that a, a firefighter or a police officer, they're usually, usually, do I need to turn this off? Usually folks that, uh, usually folks that like adrenaline rushes, like they say if you're going to be a firefighter or a police officer, you like excitement. You need to like that. And I think that's part of it. I think that uh, having that kind of excitement is good, but I think there's something more to it. I think that they have a desire to save people. I believe it's probably the same thing that is inside of a parent when their kid runs out in a busy intersection and the parent will every time run out to save their child no matter what danger they put themselves in it it doesn't matter what matters is saving their child it's the salvation parts that I think drives Paul and Barnabas to do this I think it's the same reason that we should do it Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 this is what Paul wrote uh, some of the things that Paul wrote back to these areas after the missionary journeys. Chapter 6, verse 9 says, So let's not get tired of what is doing good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Don't give up. And 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 Paul says, this is why I never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will 
last forever. So why do Paul and Barnabas not give up? Well, they are forever-minded. There's a better way of putting that. Uh, Eternally-minded. He says the things we cannot see will last forever. They're not focusing on what will happen to them that day if they are stoned or if they run up. They're focused on what will happen to them and perhaps more importantly, what will happen to the people that they are sharing the good news with eternally outside of this world. If you're only worried about what's going on here in your lifetime, then you're probably, you're most definitely nearsighted. Let's look beyond what's going on in our lives now and be eternally minded. Don't give up when you're spreading the good news and difficulty comes. Second point that we uh, pull out of this scripture is look for faith. This will make more sense when we read it. Acts chapter 14, and this is verses 8 through 10, says, While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking, looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, Stand up! And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. You know, that's, that's interesting. Uh, Paul looked straight at the man and realized, uh, recognized that this fella had faith. I think this is what we need to do. We need to learn to recognize faith. There it is again. I spit the microphone. So recognize uh, faith. Uh, the Greek word for faith in this verse is uh, belief. Uh, believing, um, trust, confidence. So when Paul seen it in this fellow's face, he seen a trust. The fella, I imagine, was in his mind thinking something like, boy, I'm not quite sure what Paul is saying, but I want to learn more. Not quite sure uh, what he is preaching about, but... I trust him. There is something about Paul that I am confident of. And he was feeding off the Spirit of God in Paul. I didn't do it that time. It wasn't me. If I need to go to this one, let me know. So, Paul recognized that there was something in that fella. And, and he seen it. And then he addressed it. We need to look for this in the community. When we... Go to this.
All right, sorry about that, guys. Paul's seen this, and he uh, tailored to it. We need to look for it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 Galatians 2, chapter 16, tells us, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. Made by faith. Uh, The meaning of the word faith, uh, believing, trust, confidence, Um, looking for it. We are made right by faith. Listen, uh, Jesus, the whole thing is, is, is about the faith that we put in Jesus the Christ, not by obeying the law. Uh, when Paul seen this man look at him, he recognized that there was something inside of this man. This man, uh, may, may not have been a Christian, uh, before at all. He wouldn't have been. He wouldn't have probably ever heard the word of God, but there was something in him that wanted to believe, that was confident, and this is important for us to know because, because it's not the works that we do. And so when we're in the community, when we're telling folks about Jesus, we think, boy, this is going to be a long haul. I need to teach these guys A, B, and C, and D. I need to read them the Bible. I need to get them through all these steps. And then when they are, they've completed all these things, they can be a Christian, and then they can come to my church. That's not the case. All it's going to take is for someone that you're spreading the good news with to be uh, excited about it and to want it, and then for them to put their faith in Jesus. And then it's done. I mean, there's a lot after that. There comes obedience, and there comes being more like Jesus, and learning and obeying. But the faith is what Jesus is after here. It's what Paul is seeing in this man. Listen, Jesus doesn't even have to look to recognize this face. Paul looked into the fellow's eyes, and he could tell that this man had faith, and so he healed them. Jesus doesn't even have to look. We see a story in Matthew chapter 5, verse 25, when Jesus was uh, ministering to some folks, and there was a bunch of folks around him as Jesus taught, and he was performing some miracles, and there was a lady uh, who, who had been suffering for quite a while. She had she'd been bleeding for a long time, and she had spent all her money. <clears throat> she didn't have any more money left to go to the doctor. There was no doctors that could help her anymore anyway. And she was just perpetually having to live with this for her whole life. She had no hope. But she came and she seen Jesus and she got excited. She had a faith that Jesus could heal her. So she went in there and squeezed him in between all the people and she touched Jesus' robe. Just touched his, his cloak. And she was healed. Jesus felt that. He didn't even have to look into her face. And he felt her, the scripture says, he felt the power go out of him and into her. And here's what he tells her. Verse 34, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace 
your suffering is over. Jesus says your faith has healed you. Those of you who are teachers may understand this a little bit. Uh, Maybe you've taught something, not in a classroom. Maybe you've just trained someone how to do something. But you know the students that you you have, there'll be some that don't pay attention, that don't care. And there'll be some, or one maybe, that pays complete attention, right? There seems to be something in, in that one kid or that one person that says, I want to learn. I'm interested in this, and I'm excited about that. Now, for a teacher, those kind of students make you excited. Like, that's why you work, is because those kind of students are ready to learn, and you want to teach them, and they're easy to teach. And I think that this is what Paul sees in this man. I mean, he he didn't notice at first, but then he realized this man has the faith to be healed. And he performed one of the miracles that God allowed him to do. Now, I'm not saying the difficult folks as you come into contact, you know, the folks who, or the kids who you have to teach forever and and go over it with them and they never seem to get, I'm not saying not to spend that time. They are absolutely worth it. And sometimes in scripture, it's those folks that, that are the greatest workers for the kingdom of God. But I'm saying what Paul seems to do here is when he sees the faith, he tailors to it instantly and gets instant results. When you're in the community and you're sharing the good news, someone is picking it up, is soaking it up, and spend that time right then, right there. Uh, Focus on them because the more we can get folks to accept the salvation the more that we are growing to continue to spread that. See the faith and tap into it. Look for it. The third point I think Paul gives to us today in this scripture is don't get a big head. And again, that's, that's kind of simple. Don't, don't get a big head. Acts chapter 14, verse 11 through 18 When the crowd saw the, what Paul had done, they, had, they shouted in their local dialect, These men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town, so the priests of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. Like, this is getting carried away. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay, and they ran out among the people shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness 
For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Now, Paul and Barnabas, again, they prove an excellent example for us. Uh, But if we put ourselves in their shoes... Well, we can understand, it can, it can go to your head. Things can go to your head pretty easily. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they were men of integrity. And we must be people of integrity so that we can protect against not being humble, against getting ahead of ourselves. Psalms 101, verse 2, is one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. This is a vow that David makes to God, and I believe every young man should make this vow to God and to his family, the whole chapter of 101. But verse 2, the second part of it says, I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. Paul and Barnabas, they they give credit to God. In verse 27 of chapter 14, they go back to the place where they started in Antioch and they called the church together and they reported everything that God had done and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. He, they reported everything that God had done they didn't go back saying, boy, you should have seen what it was like when old Paul healed that one fella. You know, you should have seen what it was like when we uh, made the sorcerer blind and then the governor believed. Uh, they didn't do that. It was like, man, God did some amazing things. When we do our work in a community, when you share the good news and you get good results, that glory goes to God. So, Paul and Barnabas, they they redirected it. Uh, You know, another point is, don't be passive. Uh, Think about, uh, you know, I've read it, and I can't remember where I read it, but uh, passive Christianity is dead Christianity. If we be passive, then the Word of God isn't pervade and portrayed the way it needs to be portrayed. Jesus doesn't want us to be passive. Uh, a couple of months ago, um, we had a, a duck, and this this uh, duck, it was a Muscovy, and it was a friend of my children, a pet, actually, and he was a really good duck. If you've ever had a Muscovy, they're really neat animals, um, and they, they, they love that duck. Well, one day... One of my daughters looks out the window and notices that there are three coyotes in the backyard, uh, not more than uh, 15 yards from my back door. So I grab my rifle, and I pop outside the house, and uh, I was we were just getting ready to go on vacation. So in my mind, I, I actually, we don't kill anything unless we eat it. And I don't have a problem eating coyotes. But I didn't want to dress them out right then because we were going on vacation. I thought to myself, you know, uh, 
it'll be all right. So I racked one in a chamber, and it just unloaded on the, the ground behind them, and dirt and mud was flying everywhere, and the coyotes tucked their tails between their legs, and they uh, ran off to the trees, and I, I chased them off. Um, and then uh, a couple weeks later, our beloved duck, some of his feathers turned up, and he didn't come home that night. And, boy, I'm, I'm not saying that, not advocating for the useless or unuseless uh, killing of animals, and I'm not at all saying that. My, my point is, is that when we be passive in our Christian lives, when we don't step up to do the things we need to do, or stand in the gap when someone needs to be in the gap, then bad things happen. Think about that in your life and what situation you have had where you should have stood up, but instead you were passive. This is how affairs happen. Usually it starts with a simple look, maybe it turns into a note or an email, then pretty soon it's, it's, it's a dinner date and when someone doesn't stand up, doesn't be assertive and intentional, instead you be passive, it turns into something more and more and starts to destroy your life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 18, Paul writes... So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think this is the key here. Be careful how you live, don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Those who are wise are not passive people. Now, they're not always the easiest to get along with. But when you live a life of truth, and someone you know someone who always uh, is truthful to you, that person is probably has a life that is is well-focused and is very productive. The last part of this verse, Paul talks about uh, being drunk. Don't be drunk. And I, I, ju I just wonder, I, I happen to think, you know, when we choose to put ourselves under the intoxication of alcohol, we're, I think that's an act of passivity. We don't want to be in charge uh, we don't want to make the decisions and do it ourselves. So let's intoxicate ourselves. Maybe this is the idea here. Intoxicate ourselves so that it'll be easier to be fun or have fun or uh, easier to make crazy and wild decisions. We're just giving the control over to something else so that we don't have to make the decisions. We don't have to be intentional 
My challenge is, Paul's challenge is as well. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be passive and give control over to something else. So, verse 15 also tells us in our chapter in Acts to, uh, you know, we're all human. Paul says, Paul says, friends, why are you doing this when they were trying to offer sacrifices, when they thought they were gods? Uh, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. So part of not getting a big head, uh, staying focused and staying humble when people are excited about what you're doing, when you are, 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 are uh, providing good news and everybody's um, encouraged by you, you know, you're tempted to say, boy, I am a good missionary. I am a good uh, evangelist, you know, to get that big head. But remember, uh, these folks that we're ministering to, they're just like us. We we struggle, they struggle, and we have to relay our likeness to them. Nobody wants an almighty Christian to share with them the right way to do things. That doesn't work. At least I've never experienced that working. We share how our, hum- our humanity, uh, our human side is just like theirs. We're all in the same boat. Some of us are, are, are sinking and some of us are floating because our boats are patched with the blood of Jesus. And not necessarily patched, but uh, completely made new. So in this scripture, in Paul's first missionary journey, we're on a wild ride. It goes from first... Uh, Verse 5, a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to uh, stone them and attack them. And so that's down here. If we were to look at this on a pie graph, first we have, we're going to be stoned and attacked. Bad deal, right? The second part in verses 11 and 18, uh, we're gods, like Paul and Barnabas. Everybody, there's trying to offer sacrifices to them. Paul and Barnabas, you know, this is not a good deal. But as far as everybody else there is concerned, uh, these guys are gods. You know, so they would be up here and then, then, you know, with missionary, things are always changing. Verse 19, we take a sudden shift down again. One minute, they're gods, little g, gods. The next minute, some of the Jews arrived from Antioch of Iconium, and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul, dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. This time, verse 19, the stoning actually happens. Paul was stoned severely enough that they thought he was dead. But that's not how it ends. We know Paul and Barnabas. The believers gathered around them. Verse 20. And Paul got up and went back into the town. The next day he left Barnabas. He left with Barnabas for Derby. 
after preaching the good news in Derby and making uh, many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers and they encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Up and down, and Paul being stoned, he considers this joy. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, Paul writes to some of the people that he will see in later missionary trips. He says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. These are things that Paul experienced while he was on his missionary trip. He says, Once I was stoned. Stoned. Galatians chapter 6, verse 17. He remembers it again as he's writing back to the churches. From now on, he says, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Right here, he was telling the people uh, about they were wanting to be circumcised and they were wanting to try to follow the law to be saved. And Paul says, listen, It's about the faith. I bear the marks on my body, the scars. They were probably from this stoning that happened here in this first missionary trip. I bear these scars that show that I belong to Jesus. Notice the last part of our verse in Acts here. Paul and Barnabas encouraged them to continue in their faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They strengthened the believers there. How did they strengthen the believers and how did they encourage them? Oddly enough, they reminded them about the suffering. He said, this is how to enter the kingdom of God. Now, first, I think, boy, that's not a very good way to encourage and strengthen them. Tell them about the suffering. But when I think about it a little more, the old saying comes to mind, no pain, no gain. And who of us wants to do something that is basically flat? that has no reward, that has no ups or downs, no excitement, no no gain. That doesn't sound appealing to me. You reach out to the community, and you're telling them about the life of a Christian, <clears throat> sharing that it's just going to be normal, plain, uh, no problems, uh, no good news or no bad news. It's just going to be... That's not going to win someone uh, to being a Christian. I'm just guessing that, that, like me, folks want an adventure. 
And when we tell them about the struggles of being a Christian, I don't think it'll deter them. Last year, our men on fire group, we hiked 14,000 foot mountain. Uh, This year, we're not just hiking a 14,000 foot mountain, we're hiking the tallest 14,000 foot mountain in Colorado. There's going to be some pain there. There's going to be some suffering. But that's part of it that draws me to it. I think we're drawn to this this uncomfort just a little bit because we know that on the other side, there is something better. We will be stronger. We will be more disciplined. And on the other side of this life, if we're suffering as Christians, there is something that is not only better, but is the best that we can ever imagine. And that is a life with Jesus Christ and God perfect in heaven there is no no suffering there it will be so amazing that we can't even imagine and if it takes a little bit of suffering to get there then we can praise God and glorify him when you're sharing the good news with folks don't give up if it gets hard look for the faith in those folks that are ready to accept it instantly Don't get a big head. Don't be passive. And don't hide the suffering. Remind them of where it will take them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word and for the message that you give to us through Paul and Barnabas. We thank you for their suffering and their encouragement. Lord, we thank you for all all the folks here, and we ask that you would uh, continue to uh, propel us into the community and give us the equipment, the, equip us with what you would have us to do to our community to spread the good news. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.